does the past matter and you know i'm a political journalist so if i raise that question does the past matter i'm talking about what might be relevant politically because you know you can also laugh at me and say are how does the past not matter we are still arguing over what happened when the muslim invaders came in were aryans invaders were they indigenous going far back or going even further back into what is the historicity and and, and the period of mahabharat ramayan so on and so forth so of course the past matters and the past also is political but what about it is contemporary past it is contem- contemporary past that we are living through things that happened in our generation that our generation witnessed but they stay with us say the delhi riots that to call them riots actually is a misnomer the delhi killings of six the mass killing of six in 1984 everybody remembers it and everybody talks about it it sets the political context even now in not just punjab but elsewhere also what happened in gujarat what happened elsewhere in so many places the partition for example that is something you can't just say it's the past so move on now having given you this sort of overly long prelude to set up what i'm coming to let me ask you a trick question do you remember something called the nelly massacre chances are that you do you remember that in some place called nelly in assam a long time back quite some time back a lot of people were killed in fact all the people killed that day were muslims they were also killed by mobs of hindus but hindus of a kind these you may not remember because these things are not recorded that well and then over generations these are forgotten they were members of a tribe which happens to be a hindu tribe that is the lalungs right a plains tribe so they attacked muslims in the place called nelly and by official count about 1600 people were killed that day in 4 hours by independent count and by my count there were upwards of 3000 people because it was such a it was not a far out place it was very close to the to a national highway right but that was the time assam was having an election that nobody wanted there was a big opposition to the elections all the police forces were involved in somehow somehow concluding that election process and nobody was paying any attention to what was happening in these 10 villages around nelly now the important thing why am i talking about all of this now because this is now this is now the 40th anniversary this is the 40 years of that election in assam that election in assam in the book i wrote then assam a valley divided which is now out of print of which i presume i have the only copy left i have only one copy and you might see a couple of pages on your screens as we talk in that book there was a chapter called a fortnight in february the so fortnight in february talked about what happened what led to the nelly massacre but the nelly massacre itself is a chapter in itself and that is a chapter i go back to even now when i want to recall what happened because i was i witness i broke the story unfortunate story of the nelly massacre in national and for international press those days interna- international press was not allowed to travel to the northeast so they picked up picked up the story from the indian express where i worked and then they sent their sort of indian correspondents who worked with them to nelly all that happened subsequently but i broke the story i saw what happened there so what i'm doing is because it is the 40th anniversary of that election the reason that chapter in the book was called a fortnight in february is that fortnight was the process of the elections the elections took place in three phases 
on three days. But this fortnight was the violent period when electioneering supposedly picked up and the Assam agitators, movement leaders tried to oppose it, oppose it in ways which were not always peaceful. And that election set one community against another, Hindu against Muslim, Muslim against Hindu. In some cases, Hindus and Muslims together against Hindus and Muslims. Some cases, Assamese Hindus against Assamese tribals. In some cases, Assamese tribals against Assamese Hindus and against Muslims, which was the case in Nelly. So what I will do is, because I don't want you forgetting what happened, and India should not forget what happened, because, you know, if we, if we forget our past, our important past, two things happen. One, one, we don't learn from it. We don't learn from it. Everybody says move on. No, move on, but don't forget what happened, because in what happened lie the lessons of how to make sure this does not happen. And second, if you do not keep redocumenting it, for future generations, for current generations. This was 40 years back, right? People who've been born after that are a vast majority in India, the post-Nelly generation. So the Nelly massacre was 1983. That's why it's 40 years. The massacres of six was 1984, right? So, so people who were born after these cataclysmic, terrible events in India's history are now the majority of India, people born after these. So it's, it's very important for them, one, to know what happened, as I said, to learn lessons so we don't make the same mistakes, repeat the same mistakes, so we have the same tragedies play out. Because, you know, if you ignore, if you ignore the truth, it comes back and bites you. And second, we must keep redocumenting these so that other mythologies don't grow. Because this, as you know, is the era of the WhatsApp university. So in this case, because I, I was eyewitness, I covered that entire election. I covered the Northeast for those three, three very newsy years. I thought that I will indulge myself, if, if you might want to put it like that, and take at least three episodes, two of Cut the Clutter, one of National Interests, to talk about what happened 40 years back. And there, today I bring you the first installment, which is my eyewitness account of the massacre in Nelly. And I know it's very raw, and I know it's very violent, and I know some people might say, why the hell do you have to do this? Why bring these things back? But you know what? This happened in our lifetimes. Most people who saw it, most people who experienced it are around. Their children are around. And, it's, and many of the factors that led to it are around and we have to make sure that we don't forget what happened so we learn from it so even when you move on you cannot forget what happened because because there was a set of mistakes and set of blunders that led to it the second part will be say the, the this week's equivalent of national interest so instead of national interest i will do an installment of what we call first person second draft what i do is occasionally when a reason arises, I pick up an old, huge, big story I might have covered and then, and then see what's happening with that story now, what's happened to the people now, and, and put it back in perspective. I did one of these series on Punjab that I did in 2014 when I was traveling through Punjab. I did one out of Sri Lanka in 2013, and I've done some more. I did one on ISRO, so-called spy non-scam where Professor Nabin Arayanan and many others suffered and I'm now doing one that you will see in place of national interest this week that is this Saturday morning on on what led on the on the spiral of violence that led to the Delhi massacre and third one then 
maybe next week again in place of national interest i will do another episode of first person second draft and that will be the dramatic story of how i worked with arun shori it's a journalistic story how i worked with arun shori i helped arun shori to unravel the kind of negligence the kind of cynicism the kind of incompetence that led to this series of massacres over this fortnight or maybe 3 weeks and that is when we also found that one wireless message that the oc as they call them in assam officer commanding or sho station house officer as we say in the north of nagong police station the wireless message that he had sent 3 days before the killings in nelly saying that these mobs are gathering they are surrounding these muslim villages this is going to happen and that message was ignored by everybody so i will tell you that is a week from now i will tell you the story of how we found that wireless message and how that story saw the light of day plus many other wireless messages and police communication in assam which told us the story of humongous incompetence so today i begin this series with a story of blood bodies and scars or what i saw after the 1983 nelly massacre in assam so i take you right back to right back to nelly 40 years ago and this is how this is this was a thought on my mind how the hell do you take in all this without a wide angle lens i grumbled to myself trying futilely to study the minolta in my sweaty palms and groping for a stable perch on the uneven mound of loose soil then i cursed loudly the half dead dog adam aravakuta the half dead dog convulsed violently as i stepped on it in my desperate desperate search for a vantage point along the edges of that scorched piece of farmland i was just searching for a place from, from where i could get as wide an angle as possible and i didn't see this half dead dog was behind me i barely managed to avert tumbling into onto a heap of mangled bodies but no amount of hopping around could save one from stepping on dismembered bodies and limbs strewn around like rotten cabbages the sun shone fiercely hastening the putrefaction and an unbearable stink rose from the ground a smell to which i was increasingly getting accustomed don't waste time sir we have work to do i have to go and survey the whole area and you are taken up with just this a mere 135 bodies come along there are hundreds more beckoned hbn appa the haggard yet enthusiastic sub inspector of the 10th battalion of the central reserve police force crpf casually wiping the sweat off his forehead then inexplicably he rubbed it onto the barrel of his 10 gun sharing a past disapproving looks was a flock of vultures waiting ever so imp- impatiently for us to leave so upper was disapproving of because what he was seeing was so disgusting all these bodies and yet failed to protect those lives the vultures because until we had moved away until the living beings had moved away they could not have feasted on the bodies appa either way appa and i became fellow travelers i ran into him again we met again in 1984 during operation blue star at the golden temple and i wrote about that also in fact he features in the series of first person second draft that i wrote on the punjab situation in fact i wrote that series on 2014 i will share that episode also with you a link maybe at some point i will bring that in video podcast as well now hbn appa's cynicism was understandable and i quote from him nothing new sir it was just like this in bangladesh he said tilting his helmet and remembering the gory deeds of the pakistani army in 1971 remember we are talking about 19, 1983 he had served in 71 and now he was still in service and i quote him again 
but I was much younger than sir. Appa said, now I am old and tired, no food, no water for two, day, two days. We are just two platoons of tired Jawans, desperately running around since we reached here last afternoon. How can we guard the entire area from attacks by more than 10,000 men? Yet, sir, thousands would have died if we had not reached here, Appa said. But even if they could not prevent the deaths around Nelly from reaching such a high mark, I counted, in fact, 256 bodies in under an hour in an area which was like not more than a football field, in fact, less than a football field. The wounded who walked or crawled past on their way to National Highway 37 then in search for help spoke of hundreds more dead in their villages because 10 villages were hit. And these were villages where Appa would not let me go. And I quote Appa again, fresh attacks are feared any moment, sir. With the force we have, we can hardly guard the camps of survivors at Nelly and I don't fancy facing a mob with just one stand gun, he said. In the village, everything had been burned to ashes. You could see radio sets smashed to pieces, bicycles twisted and burnt, and even two burnt pump sets. The invaders had no interest in looting. The murderous instinct had wiped out everything else. Even the few surviving patches of paddy were singed. From Muladhari, one of the 10 villages, from Muladhari, one of the 10 completely devastated villages in the cluster around the highway township of Nelly, the uneven mud trail was sickeningly scary. A woman with no more than a rag around her waist screamed uncontrollably. Her breasts bore ghastly lacerations. Abdul Hanan, one of the very few survivors who was now helping collect the wounded, said she was in the sixth month of her pregnancy, aborted when a spear handle was thrust inside her and left to die after the marauders spent a few minutes disfiguring her. She now screamed, not in pain, but with grief, and pointed to the pieces of a two-year-old, her first child, pulled apart and broken into two. And I quote again Abdul Hanan, they grabbed his limbs, the child's limbs, two from each direction and pulled him into pieces, said Hanan, and mumbled as an afterthought, why doesn't she just die now? The primary school building at Nelly looked like how field hospitals in medieval battlefields might have looked. There were hundreds and hundreds of men, women and children walking or crawling around with gaping stab, spear and bullet wounds all over their bodies. The wounds unattended still bled. Blood and grime mixed and even a non-medic could smell that gangrene and tetanus were lurking around. They were just around the corner. But the more immediate problem was making one's way to the small, crowded, first aid stall in the middle of the vast sea of bleeding humanity without spoiling one's shirt sleeves. You know, you know my old habit, good or bad, of keeping my shirt sleeves rolled. On this, in, in this case, on this day, it was also a white shirt. And that will feature in the story again. I gave up rubbing shoulders freely. Later that day, while driving back to Guwahati Airport, and I shall tell you what was the purpose of driving at breakneck speed to Guwahati Airport, I very nearly got mobbed thanks to the blood-smeared shirt when I stopped briefly to take a look at a fur furiously burning market at yet another highway township of Sonapur. A fireman coolly offered to help wash the bloodstains under, under the jet of water. He tried, some faded, but most remained. Back at Nelly, the bloodstains showed much more prominently on the one spotless white uniforms of the four nurses and three paramedical workers who struggled desperately with the crowds. The nurses cried uncontrollably and a CRPF sub-inspector trying to comfort them joined in. He also started crying. 
And while we might rule the fact that first aid boxes are out of supplies, the fact that the stage until when antiseptics could help everybody was long past. The grown-ups kept their cool, but the children screamed as the tincture burned into the deep gashes because first aid boxes, whatever was left, was just tincture iodine and Sevlon. The nurses cried even louder as the children cried. So I remember Inspector Rai of the CRPF and, you know, the ever-questioning and vigilant news desk of the, uh, of the print asked me what was his first name. So I, unfortunately, I don't have his first name. The first name did not feature in my book also. In fact, a lot of this detail I am now telling you from my, from my 1983 book, which was published in January 1984, Assam, A Valley Divided. As I told you earlier, the book is out of print. But you know what? When you take a subscription to the print, in just a little while, all our subscribers will then be given access to all the archive of the body of my work, which will include a soft copy of this book, Assam, A Valley Divided. Nevertheless, I remember Inspector Rai, and if he or his family are listening, please write back to me so I know his first name and full details, and I will acknowledge that. So Inspector Rai of the CRPF bravely went around asking everyone to bear with it for a while as the army doctors were about to arrive. But no one believed him. And it was not until the next afternoon that any substantive relief could be organized by, the, by a completely demoralized government. How demoralized it was, that, that you will hear in the next couple of episodes as we go along with the story from 40 years ago. Suddenly, back at Nelly, suddenly everyone's attention was diverted and there was loud clicks of safety catches slipping on the firearms. The CRPF men, rifles and stand guns at the ready sprinted eastwards from where, said a bunch of immigrant Muslims, a new attack was developing. Panic seized the camp and a stampede was averted only by the sudden return of the relieved CRPF men, the advance party, who nevertheless gave a dressing down to those spreading the false alarm. My trance was broken by a tug on my sleeve. A sobbing Nageshwarai, the driver of my car, he showed me his watch. Just 90 minutes for the flight to leave to Delhi. Do you want to send the film today or not? So I told you earlier, why, why was it that every day we made this mad dash to the airport? Because I'm taking you back to 1983. You could not send a picture electronically, right? You could not scan something, right? There was no way. The only thing to send a picture to your headquarters for publishing was to send a physical picture or the films. There was no communication. There were no regular flights. These were just special flights being run on behalf of the election commission to bring in the staff which had been deployed to hold this election. Officials had been sent from all over the country to hold this election that people of Assam didn't want. By the way, the voting percentage in Brahmaputra Valley was less than 5%. It was worse than it's ever been in, in, in Kashmir Valley. There was such popular opposition to that election. So every half evening when the day's job was done, I had a camera, I had a Minolta which the Indian Express had given me because you couldn't have a photographer, one more person there. And I took whatever pictures I took and then made a dash to the airport and try and find, to try and find a pilot or an Indian Airlines crew member who would take my films back. So the Indian Airlines captain on this day who took my Nelly pictures, the films of my Nelly pictures back to Delhi is somebody that we know now. He sometimes comes for our off-the-cuff events also. He was Captain Jyoti Kumar Sharma. You see his picture on your screen. So he is the one 
who brought those pictures to Delhi that day. Those are the pictures, primary evidence of what happened and that brought in a lot of the other press to Nelly. The next day Nelly then became an international story and that upset Mrs. Gandhi, Indra Gandhi a great deal because this had happened at a time when she was hosting the Non-Aligned Movement Summit. And she and her government thought that exposing what had happened in Nelly, it was her failure, it was her government's failure and incompetence. But the fact that this, this came out at a time when Non-Aligned Movement was being held and she was hugging Fetal Castro or being hugged by Fetal Castro, etc. She didn't like it and later these pictures were also published by India Today magazine which I joined subsequently and she attacked that magazine also for committing an anti-national act as she called it by publishing these pictures while the NAM summit was on. Nevertheless, coming back to Nelly, Nageshwar Rai and I hopped into the car and vainly searched for Appa to thank him. As I told you, he was already gone then, but I caught up with him next year, next summer, 1984 summer, in Golden Temple, around Golden Temple, in fact, at a place called Brambuta Akhada, overlooking the Golden Temple. He was already gone from Delhi, leading a patrol, following yet another alarm. The 80-kilometer journey back to Bojhar Airport near Guwahati gave, gave me time to reflect on the day's happenings. I'd heard about some violence taking place the previous day, but as you will figure from the next part of this installment, that will be the first person, second draft in place of this weekend's national interest, you will see that a lot of violence and a lot of killings were taking place at that time in Assam. So it was very, very difficult to tell one from the other, Panchi Dharmare, Das Udharmare, Sattar Udharmare, right? We were already getting in your to 50, 60, 70, 80 dying in one place. So it was very difficult to assess which was really an extraordinary thing because a few people dying here and there every day was by now routine in that election campaign. So my first reaction also the previous day was that this was yet another instance of arson and a few killings as had been the trend so far. But I had casually decided on a hunch to come and have a look anyway at Nelly. It was also not so far. I used to live in Shillong. If you drive between Shillong and Guwahati, so I drove from Shillong to Guwahati, it was just a short detour. Instead of heading straight to Guwahati, you just had to turn right and go a few tens of kilometers. It was intriguing why there were no other newsmen at Nelly. At Borjar Airport, things looked absolutely normal. Assam government officers loitered around in the lobby, waiting for the consignments of fruit and even bread was being flown in from Delhi for election workers. So they were waiting there, waiting for consignments of fruit and bread from Delhi to feed the poll personnel. Half a dozen news photographers and reporters milled around the counters looking for passengers willing to take their films back to Kolkata or Delhi. No one talked of Nelly. Till then, everyone had accepted the government's figure of 35 dead in Nelly. And 35 dead in that election of 1983 was no big story. It was a single column story by then. The work over, that means the film's gone. All of us retired for a late lunch at the airport cafeteria, which often tended to become a talk shop and conclave for tired journalists, photographers, government employees, police officers, poll personnel, etc. Now, this, is not, this was not a time when that cafeteria would have a menu. They just had one thing on the dish and that was chicken biryani. Chicken biryani was the sole dish on the menu. Hungrily, I had left home very early morning from Shillong. I had not eaten anything. In fact, I had drunk very little water as well. Hungrily, I dug into the plate and then stopped midway. Those chunks of chicken in the biryani. 
Why did they look so much like the raw human flesh I had just seen lying around all over the paddy fields? A lot of people at the restaurant looked surprised as I rushed out, went straight to the toilet and threw up. So this was the story of Nelly, my eyewitness account of Nelly. What you will see this weekend in place of national interest will be another one in my occasional series, first person, second draft. And I will give you some details, in fact, lots of details for the violence, for the spiral of violence that had overtaken or that had overwhelmed Brahmaputra Valley at that point and which and which became so widespread that for us journalists, 30, 40, 50 killed was no big story anyway because this was happening all the time. And a police and the government were always looking the other way because their priority was to somehow hold the election. That once, once you railroad the election, then we'll see the rest. Also, they happened to be very partisan in their approach of who they wanted to protect. And that is the story that will come out this weekend's edition of First Person Second Draft. And once again, I will draw a lot, a great deal from my out of print book because that is a published record. And remember, that record got published in January 1984 when all the players in this game were still around and almost all were still in service.